Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friends today. I got my co-host and my other two co-hosts that you will recognize from past appearances on this very podcast. But first of all, Jamie, I would be remiss if I didn't say it's good to see you. Good to see you as well. And good to see our other, our other friends here. Um, we, it's episode 100 and we thought, you know, nothing better than bringing back some of our people, some of our closest friends, our closest guests. You know, I think when I, when I think back through the last hundred episodes, two episodes really stand out in terms of impact, in terms of the number of people that we had reach out and respond and say, that's a really important conversation. Right. Not necessarily that it was like I had the most takeaways, but it's a really important conversation to have. John Peter um, and Trevor Solom, you know, Trevor going through a battle with cancer, still currently we'll get into some of that and some where you're at. JP, you were uh, gracious enough to talk about your battle with mental health. And I think a lot of our listeners responded in such a way that said, thank you, really, to, to that process. And so we thought, in order for us to celebrate a hundred episodes, you guys would be as, as good, a, a partners in that as we could, as we could imagine. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for what you do. Awesome to be here guys. And uh, awesome to be a part of this journey after spending the better part of a year listening to it. Yeah. Same, same message from here. Um, excited to be back. Um, I know I did have the request when we were down in Louisiana that I needed to make another appearance. So, it's good to be here. Well, you didn't want that one certainly to be your last with those other guys kind of taking up your space. Yeah. <laughs> you get to stretch yeah, out I, a little bit today, Trev. Yep. It's going to be good. Also, I mean, I'm excited to have you guys here. I'm a little bit terrified. You know, Jamie pitched this idea to me and he's like, Hey, for 100, let's bring on Trevor and JP and let's let them ask us questions and, and do have some conversation in that way. And it's a lot. Of, I'll tell you what, guys, after doing 100 episodes, it's a lot easier to be the one asking the questions than it is having to answer. So just up front, I'm a little bit anxious about it. But the other thing that came to mind was, JP, you said you've been listening for a year, which means, I mean, you, you got about a year of backlog episodes to uh, to get through. So I look forward to hearing your, your progress on that someday. Well, I... If you listen long enough, and other people would know this too, we find little Easter eggs about you two throughout. And that's kind of was the genesis of, of Jamie and I talking about, hey, I got a lot of questions for both of you guys about things that come up. And, uh, you know, I can't always ask them when I'm just listening. So I've written them down throughout the year. And here we are. I'm sure, I'm sure it won't be too intimidating, John. John is... I, so JP said this last night in a text message, or maybe it was this morning, I was talking about my wife being a little bit of an introvert, right? And I think what has come to be my realization is that I'm really drawn to people that are introverted, right? I, I don't always, I am extremely extroverted as most people know, but I, I say I'm an extrovert living in an introvert, or I'm an introvert living in extrovert genes, right? My genetics are extremely extroverted, right? And so my upbringing, my relationships were incredibly outgoing and social. But my regeneration time 
is kind of an introversion. And so I think I'm drawn to introverts. And I think, you know, I think about you, John, you're pretty introverted. David's pretty introverted. Um, Josh to a degree, you know, like people that have been on Trevor, I think, you know, your natural instinct is to be less, less outgoing from the, at the beginning. Um, and JP, I would, you know, like same thing for you, my wife. And so like John, your anxiety comes, I think from that place of, of introversion, but I would say what I'm drawn to about that is that when we get answers from you guys, when we get to have these sort of conversations in depth, I'm really blown away by the stuff I get from all of you and kind of that thoughtful response is just what I love about our relationships. And so don't be anxious, John, you got good things to give. That's what I'm saying. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate that. Okay. Well, um, you guys want to update us on where you're at? I know JP, you're getting ready for a season, your off season. Where are you guys at? Trevor, I know you're about to start a season, so let's go there. This shows how John and I don't text as much as Jamie and I do. Um, yeah. So the, the news back in December, maybe, uh, early December is that I resigned as the track coach, uh, the girls track coach in Pelican and kind of, uh, I think when you guys had me on, the second time right after the season, like I knew I was going to do it, but I wasn't ready to talk about it yet. Um, and the realization during the soccer season was in order to take care of myself, um, just from, uh, like getting my exercise, getting enough sleep, doing all those things. Uh, it was hard during soccer. And then I knew that during the springtime, I was usually gearing up for all of our summer soccer stuff at the same time as trying to coach. And I was just like, I, this, that's not going to work. Like I love coaching track, but I can't take care of myself and take care of everything else I got to do. So, you know, after 17 years of coaching track, I decided it was time to, to be done with that. And it was hard, you know, um, it was more hard to talk to the athletes, you know, because I, it's not like, uh, a lot of coaches get done and then they move on or they go somewhere else. And like, I'm still standing in the hallway. And when you build your whole program with, um, we're going to talk about relationships and we're going to build relationships that are deep. You, you can't just like have them find out in the school board minutes that you resigned or on social media. So like we, we had a meeting and somebody asked me afterwards, like, how did it go? And I'm like, did you ever break up with a girl in high school? I'm like now do that 17 times at once. That's kind of the, the emotional feeling it was. Um, but with time and space, you know, it's been good. Um, and <clears throat> when you've also been honest and vulnerable for years with the kids you're coaching, like once they sit back and think about it, they understood. Um, yeah. And we're, we're at a really unique situation in Pelican in that, uh, for years, we would struggle to find assistance um, and we would struggle to find people who could help. And we're currently in a situation where we had like two or three people that we were like, we don't have a spot in the roster for these people. But like one of them had coached at college and, you know, one of them was exceptional at what he did when he was a competitor and comes from a, a family of coaches. Like, so it was a it was a perfect time for me to step away and know that we're, you know, we almost turned over the whole staff from a year ago because the boys coach also left and, but they're in such good hands. Um, and it'll be good to see, see what they're doing. Um, as I kind of, you know, 
step back into the background now completely. What an incredible example of just being intentional about what you need and, and making choices based on what's best for you and your family. And, and like you said, if you are truthful, you're honest, you have, you act with integrity, that decision becomes easier, right? When you understand that people, they may not like it. They may feel taken aback, whatever they feel. It's not your feeling to feel, but in the end, they understand and they want what's best for you. And I think that's uh, a cool example for all of us as we look at the things that we do with our life and the, the way we spend time and, and with who we spend it. So appreciate that. Trev, getting ready for golf season. Yeah. Give us the rundown. Is, it, is there still snow on the ground? I live in Montana and I got eight inches of snow today. So we did not get eight inches of snow today. We had a dusting this morning. Um, you know, it's starting to go away, but the 17 below weather that's on its way is not going to help the situation at all. Uh, we start in about three weeks. Um, we did have a player meeting yesterday just to kind of gather up the numbers and see what it's going to look like. Um, we had about 20-ish kids or so that are signed up at this point. Um, you know, I'm excited for the year. We did graduate a couple seniors last year that were, were good you know, for the program, they'd been there a long time. Um, but we've got a couple that are ready to step in this year. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. My story about the season upcoming is not quite as good as JP's is for his ending of the story, but, uh, you know, kudos to you, JP, for, uh, for realizing that, you know, you need the time for yourself to, to make sure your, your number one is taken care of. So, you know, congrats on the, on the resignation. So that leads me to something, Trevor, last year you get diagnosed on March 1st and you have to manage the chaos of treatment and not knowing like just a lot of unknowns and you're traveling a lot, you're doing a lot of testing and, and kind of figuring stuff out throughout the golf season. I think a lot of people would have said, why not step away? Why not take some time for yourself? What, like, as you think about preparing this year and some of those things haven't changed, right? There's still going to be some travel. There's going to be some missed practices. There's going to be missed opportunities to connect with your, with your kids and maybe miss meets. Some people are probably still asking the question, why, why are you still battling? You know? Yeah. You know, you referenced the the meeting that JP had with his players of saying, you know, I'm, I'm stepping away. I, I had a similar meeting like the week after I was diagnosed and I had all of my varsity athletes there and just said, listen, guys, here's the situation. Um, you know, you're going to be one of 10 people that are aware of this. Please don't say anything up to this point in time. Uh, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, it's not going to change anything at this point in time. Um, I am going to be there for you 100% of the time that I am physically able to be. Um, and, and part of that is just uh, mentally for me to be able to, to continue on with my day or my week or my month or my year um, to have something that is occupying my, my mind and to plan for things and to, you know, keep me in the present moment instead of letting my mind wander. I had no other choice but to just do what I do, and that's teach and coach. 
So, yeah. And I mean, like I, I have known that answer for a long time. It's something I, I respect a ton about you is because you said, I'm going to own this thing. And the way I'm going to do it is continue to live in the way that is as normal as possible for me, because I get filled up from this stuff. Like, and it, and it helps me not be anxious. It helps me not think about the the future because that's out of my control. Like I'm going to be right here yeah. right now. And I think it's such a power again, you know, JP, John just, you know, praise JP for giving us an example of how to, you know, recognize that this isn't right for me. And for you to say, this is right for me. This is the thing that I need in that moment of stress and of challenge is so, I mean, like part of the reason you guys resonated so deeply with our audience and with us is like, you know who you are and you know what you need and you're willing to communicate that need with, you know, and they're disparate. They're, they're on opposite sides of the spectrum and they're still both exactly the right thing. Yeah. Like I just have tremendous respect for both of you in that regard, because um, I don't know that I'd, <laughs> I might do it for the wrong reasons. Right. Well, and some of it, some of it takes time too. like, I mean, I got diagnosed like a year and a half ago almost, and I still coached track last year. Yeah. Um, and it was great. And then I got into counseling and learned a lot of skills and, and I had a, a really close friend from high school reach out to me last summer and, uh, we met for coffee and he confided, he's like, I'm bipolar too. And he does don't quit anything right now. Like this is going to take time. And he said, you need to, he, he, he said it kind of funny, but he said, the disorder is going to tell you what you can't do anymore. And he goes, you just need to let it show you what that is. And he said, let, you got to kind of let life play out and you'll realize what is manageable and what's not. But he said, don't, don't quit stuff now. Cause you need, and like Trevor said, you need that. Right. And, you know, eventually it was really clear, like, this is the thing I can't do. And it was easy to walk away from, uh, but it takes time and we do need those outlets. So. I was just going to say, like, I, I still feel like I'm kind of in that, that same situation right now. You know, we've got some change over at school going on. You know, I coached football last fall um, and, and we've got some change over in the coaching staff and things like that moving forward. Um, and, you know, I, maybe this summer something changes where that, where I'm not going to be part of the coaching staff, or maybe my role steps into something different with the team, things like that. You know, it's still kind of a, a learning curve, especially when my treatment is changing now too. Um, I finished up with some chemotherapy um, last week, and we're going to be changing that, changing that treatment schedule up, and and changing up the the type of treatment. Um, going back to the immunotherapy a little bit, so we'll see what what that brings too. You know. Thanks for sharing that, Trev. I you know I. I've gotten to talk to you a lot in the last few weeks, um, traveling back and forth from some of those treatments and things like that. And um, I know people are curious to know, even though you're not always wanting to talk about it, which I don't blame you, but uh, I, a lot of people care about you and, and want to know and, and mostly just to be able to support you. So I know it's not easy for you to share that kind of stuff and, and certainly we appreciate it. But all that to say, guys, the floor is yours hit us with what you got. I no idea what to expect, but I know that, uh, it's going to be good. So let's roll. Well, uh, throughout like listening to the show, uh, like I said, there's, you guys kind of leave Easter eggs for us from time to time. Um, and one of them that I connected the dots on 
was that at some point, obviously you guys are friends from college, but at some point you lived together in Thief River Falls. Is that correct? And then yeah. I learned yesterday that you also lived together in, in Glenwood for a while. Yep. John, why do you keep letting Jamie come and live with you? Boy, it's a good question, coach. Um, no, I, you know what, it's, it's one of those things where you, you want people around you that grow and stretch you. And, and I've never seen it as like a, Hey, come live with me. But it's always been, you know, Jamie and I have alluded to or talked about back when we were in college, my wife was much smarter and more advanced than me, which is not going to be a surprise to anyone, but she was basically done with college by the time I was a sophomore. And so she was working full time and she traveled quite a bit for work. And so Jamie and I um, got to know each other over the game of Tetris. And so we just spent a ton of time together and, and through the course of those conversations and, and talking about the future and, and what we wanted to do, most of it was around coaching and it was around philosophy and how we could build programs and pour into our athletes and, and grow our other coaches. And so when it came time to go into the real world and, um, you know, I was out and about and Jamie played one more year. And, and then after that, it was like, okay, cool. Those conversations continued. And it's like, if we have an opportunity to do this, come do it. And so for me, it was never about anything other than wanting to be around good people. And, and Jamie certainly is one of those. So that's what it was for, for me. Yeah. And I, I think I was, um, a little bit nomadic in my, in my travels, my progress. I, I didn't have a clear direction in life and, and, um, I was, we've talked a lot about identity on the podcast. I think one of the things that I really struggled with was, was not being an athlete anymore. You know, I was, a I was all stayed in multiple sports. I was a two sport collegiate athlete. I, I then transferred and just played football, but I was coaching at 20. You know, I walked into a, a wrestling room when I was 20 and pretty much was given the keys to the car, you know, and like, it was like, Hey, here you go. I, I didn't have to schedule. I didn't have to do busing, but I did just about everything else. And like those two identities became really wrapped up in who I was. And at 22, 23, um, they were gone and I didn't really know who I was or what I was. And I knew who I wanted to be around. I mean, it was the same sort of thing. Like not only John, but Hannah, like there were so many nights where John was like watching TV and Hannah and I are two and a half hours into a really deep conversation. And John's like, I'm going to bed, you know, and Hannah and I are still talking it like, she is elite at what she does too. You know, like there was, there was just a, a draw to be around good people. Like John said, and then like, they just opened their home and were super generous to me. I think one of my favorite things, one of my favorite memories from our time together, John is, is the whiteboard in, in the garage, right? Yeah. <laughs> town home that I converted garage into a bedroom. And that's where I stayed. And on the wall is a, is a like an industrial size classroom whiteboard. And we had, I mean, everything like we had philosophy of coaching up there. We had plays up there. It was like, draw it up. We're sitting in the other room talking and it was like, okay, go write it down. You know, and it was just like this thing that became 
kind of this ongoing process of, 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 and it's become like kind of a metaphor of, of our relationship. Like, Oh, write it down. Right. Like write that down. The other thing, JP, and much less seriously, but uh, Jamie was also always willing in those days to bring Oreos and milk and peanut butter M&Ms, which were a staple of any sort of gathering. So, um, you know, he knew how to get to my heart for sure as a former offensive lineman tight end. So what I think is really interesting is that experience actually is how I met Trevor, right? Uh, um, John and Trevor were coaching junior high baseball together. And I came on the bus one day and here's, I don't know, Trev, what were you first year out of, out of college, 22 years old, right? <laughs> like, nope. So, um, how did you, like, where did you two connect? Cause I mean, I, I know a little bit, but was it just work? Yeah. John came down into my classroom and said, my name is John. I saw that you were hired here. I know how difficult it is to meet new people. So I figured I would come down and introduce myself. And that was not very introverted of you, John. But Boy. Uh, one of the best relationship decisions you've probably ever made. So um, you, you're welcome for that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of where it started. And then, you know, we had a lot of similar interests in hunting, fishing, at the time, coaching baseball, but also going to the golf course. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of how it started for John and I. I JP, you, I have like the questions that you are referring to with these guys. I have a lot of information in my head that you are unaware of at this point. So it is really hard for me to come up with appropriate questions to ask that uh, are going to be good for the listeners at this point in time but so but I, I might just be chiming in on a couple of things that you bring up um and just to make sure that these two get the details right um when they're answering so uh if i'm not talking it's because i'm on mute and i'm laughing because i know something that you don't <laughs> sounds good well so you guys end up in thief river together I think, John, you were already up there from what I understand. Yep. And Jamie, why did you go up there? Because we're going to talk about why John was up there already in a little bit. That's one of my questions I want to get to. But why did you go up there, Jamie? So did a I, job call you up there? Yeah, well, kind of. Um, John called and said, you should come live with us. Maybe that wasn't the initial. Actually, I think you called and were like, there's a Spanish job open. And it's north of here and whatever. So I actually got my teaching license the summer the state shut down in 2010, 2011, whatever that was. And so I had applied for a couple of jobs, interviewed at a couple of jobs. And they're like, we don't know if you're going to get a license conferred and we're not going to apply for a variance. I was like, fair. And I was a first year teacher. And, you know, so some of those things. And like I had applied in the cities because I still wanted, like, I think I had a job coaching football at Bethel if I wanted to go back. Um, and it just didn't work out. Um, there was a, there was a job at legacy Christian that I interviewed at and it kind of came down to taking the job at legacy or at, or up in new Folden. And at legacy, it's like, um, it's going to be more, a, a expensive sort of life. Cause that's out in Andover commuting to Bethel, not really having 
like just didn't feel like it was a great fit um, financially. And I'm sure we'll get there in a second too. John called and was like, Hey, um, if you pay for groceries every once in a while, we'll, uh, we'll call it even sort of thing. And they gave me a job. I mean, that was, that was the, I interviewed probably six or eight times and had been turned down quite a few. And it kind of came down to those two positions and it's like, Hey, go live with, you know, my best friend in the world or, um, go potentially struggle to have a, a normal financial life. It didn't, I didn't have a normal financial life anyway, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that was what took me, took me up there. I taught ITV Spanish to six districts at the same time. And it was like herding cats. It was, it was terrible. Um, not that the kids were terrible. It was just like a logistic nightmare. So good clarification there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys are both in thief river. You're sleeping on John's floor for free. Yeah. And, uh, Hannah's counseling you through in the your, garage through your life. Um, but John, you're running a mental health practice at the time, I believe in thief forever. And you've hinted that this mental health practice included like, like I had a counseling session yesterday that is just like what I'm doing now. It's talking on zoom, but you have hinted that these counselor sessions like would be going to play basketball with you or riding a bike. And that's so unique. Like, I don't think many people have heard about that kind of therapy or that kind of counseling. And, and it's really unique. And I don't think you're going to talk about it unless I put you on the spot. So tell us about what that was like and like what you did and kind of the rationale behind that kind of work. Well, so to answer your original question about why, why'd we end up in Thief River? I had no idea where Thief River Falls was, even though it was only three hours north of where both my wife and I grew up. And we were at a point in our lives where um, my wife had been working in a family business and, and it was in real estate and that was right around the real estate crash and we needed to do something different. And, and so she I had an accounting license, worked in healthcare. And so interviewed in this place called Thief River Falls. And I'm like, what? And I had to look on the map. And, and so she went up and interviewed and she's like, you got to come up. It's, it's different. I don't know how to explain it. It's just different. And, and it really is. I, that place has a special um, spot in our hearts for both of us. And it still does. I still do some work for, for Sanford out of Thief River. And, and that's why it's because the people there are so incredible. And, and that time there, I, I wouldn't trade for anything, but so what I was doing, I was actually working at a, a residential facility for teens and adolescents. So anything under the age of 18, um, all the way down to age. I mean, technically, I think we were seven to, to 17, something like that. But occasionally, when, when I first started, we were the first kind of facility within, you know, outside of Fargo. So that's about two, two hours. And so if you know that part of the state, there's just not a lot up there geographically that, that you can go to as far as big city resources and, and something like that was, was unique. And so we saw all kinds of situations and we welcomed in so many different types of kids and families that I, I don't know that it could have prepared me better for anything else in, in my career because it gave me 
a mix of, of everything from domestic violence to suicide, to depression, anxiety, to ADHD, to fill in the blank substance abuse, um, just such a variety. And, and that's one of the things I loved about it. You know, it, it certainly was one of the hardest and maybe still the hardest thing that I've ever had to do because, um, we were ultimately charged with, with taking care of kids in a facility that they didn't have either didn't have any place else to go or th their situation wasn't a good one for them to go home to. And, and so to go home every day and, and know that these kids are just kind of hanging out really weighed on me a lot, a lot of days, but when I was there, um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Most of my, well, most, I say most, but all of my counseling sessions, all of my therapy sessions were, I played a lot of pool and I played a lot of pool in college. So I was pretty good. So I, I, you know, it was, it was easy for me to take it, not take advantage. That's a, that's the wrong word, but no, but I, we played games. We went, we went outside. We played a lot of basketball, bike rides, hikes, things like that. I knew for myself, and this is going back to being self-aware, but for myself, I hated being inside in an office, sitting there asking questions. I was uncomfortable. And I found really early on, and this goes back to my time where I met Trevor working at the, the school in, in Starbucks, was when we can occupy our physical bodies doing something, that unlocks a space in our brain and our emotional response to, to be able to go to different places and to be comfortable. And I've used a lot of different things when I was in it's crazy. I was thinking about this. I have a 14 and a half year old yellow lab who from the day she was seven weeks old and I brought her home, I brought her to work with me. And, and since then she's been at every job, every, every day that I have been there. And, and so animals unlock that activities unlock that. Um, and it just creates a, a different type of connection rather than me just sitting you down in a chair and saying, Hey, tell me how you feel today. So I, I have had a ton of experience with that. And, and even to this day, I was having a conversation. I had a, uh, a guy call me to set up some, some sessions and, and he was, he was just kind of asking about the process. And I said, Hey, here's the deal. I'm, I'm unique. I don't have an office because I hate offices. So if you want, if you want to go and meet me for a cup of coffee somewhere and let's have a conversation, I'm down. And he's like, that sounds fantastic. I can't wait. You know? And, and, and so for me, that was, um, again, another reminder that, Hey, we're all different. We all need different things. And, and so that's, that's kind of how I have chosen to build my practice and, and what I do and how I serve people. So this is why I love this format of talking to you guys, because I, I now have questions for both, the, both of the two of you. I'm going to start with you, Trevor and, and JP. The question is really kind of the same what you do in English language learning and Trevor, you're an EBD. Like, do you find limitations in the classroom because you can't do some of that stuff? Or how do you guys modify so that you can open up, unlock some of these things that John is talking about? Because I think, you know, for both of those populations, right. A population that has a, a diagnosis of emotional behavior disorder or something like that, or is in an English language learning setting, like, frustration rises pretty quickly and we don't have those outlets in a seven hour day necessarily. So Trevor, how do you create those opportunities, create those spaces in the classroom when it might not always be easy? 
Uh, I have keys to the gym at school. I have keys to the weight room at school. Um, I have access to the football field. You know, I don't use them as much now as I did when I was working in Starbucks. We were in the gym every day. Um, and it was it, part of that is there, there was no transitions that were happening in the day. And that, that definitely helps some kids, you know, to the sense that they get to get out and move a little bit. That's every 45 minutes, they're going to their next class. Um, when I was in Starbucks, it was, you're in my room all day long. We are going to get sick of each other. Eventually, um, let's go, you know, we had a little weights that we had the gym we could use. We could go outside. Um, you know, I, I don't use it quite as much now. Um, but you know, I, a lot of my students do have some, some people that they see for mental health things. And I know that they utilize the gym. We utilize walks, um, you know, what we can do to try and get out of the classroom as much as possible. It, it's weird though, because students now are the way that they handle their downtime is, is different than when I started. And the second that they don't have something in front of them or the second that they're uninterested in the topic, it goes immediately to an electronic device for 95% of my kids. And that's, that's their, their outlet that they use. I, I, I don't agree with it. I try and use other things because it, it's not an outlet. It's just a time waster. Um, and all of the issues are still there as soon as it goes back in your pocket or your backpack or whatever. Um, so it, it's definitely different, but, um, you know, I wish kids would say, Hey, let's go to the weight room as a class so we can, you know, work on ourselves to be a better person, but it, it doesn't always work that way. JP, it's a little different context for you, but I would imagine you have similar needs, right? That aren't always being met yeah so much of it for in my classroom is about learning culturally how people learn um, and how to engage them like my Somali students that is a storytelling culture so like you you wanna it's it's oral everything's oral they didn't even have a written language till like 40 years ago so like you want to really get a point home usually we're going to do it in some sort of a story and sometimes the kids will just tell us we'll be working for a while and they'll just be like tell us a story mr peter and i'm like about what they're like anything <laughs> you know and so um part of it's just knowing your culture of who you're working with and and sometimes how you know when i have a class full of kids from somalia guatemala nicaragua and mexico all at the same time you know <clears throat> there's cultural differences, even though three of those groups speak Spanish. Um, and so you got to just kind of learn those as you can. Um, and then for me, just the benefit of coming from a background where I was originally like a kindergarten preschool teacher and like, you got to change what you're doing every 10 minutes or the <laughs> burn the room down. Um, and, and then if you come into my classroom, we kind of, it's the same thing is it's, 10 minutes of this and then we're going to yeah. get up and move around and do five minutes of this and then eight minutes with this person. And, and yes, there's a timer running for all yeah. of this on a big screen. So, you know, it's just figuring out ways to not 
be so and there are days where it is long and repetitive or it's long and one thing because it has to be but most of the time we're moving through a lot of different things yeah I, what great advice or wisdom when working with kids particularly like uh you know good rule of thumb is their attention span is their age right like so I, like when i was teaching 15 year olds if i did something more than 15 minutes like I, it was it started to devolve very, very quickly. And so I was, I tried to plan like six things in a 50 minute cycle. Cause it's like, if I get to all of them, great. If I don't, at least I know that we're, we're moving. Right. And I think, you know, that comes from this question of John, like why moving, why walking around, why sports? Like, well, it's, it's all connected, right? We, if attention is our most valuable asset, like let's not give them a reason to check out just because we want to have a long, boring conversation in some ways, right? Like people think of therapy and they think oh, I'm supposed to bear my soul and have this hour long conversation. And that might be the most miserable thing in the world for them. So, yeah. well, so I, I, sorry, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say, and a lot of times, like, again, when you, when we occupy our physical beings, we're not, we don't even recognize. So I had so many conversations with people and I still do. So this is, I mean, if you're listening to me right now and you're one of my clients, forget that I said this, but this, the secret is distract, ask a question, keep it light, and then keep digging at gradually getting deeper and deeper and to the point where, okay, now we can have a real conversation because there's a comfortability, right? We've, we've already engaged in this thing. Physically, we're a little bit distracted. And then emotionally, we can allow ourselves to go there opposed to me just asking you, tell me how you're feeling right now. You, you, you can protect and deflect and do all sorts of different things and distract me from getting to that. But, but ultimately, um, yeah, that's so anyway, I don't know what I, my point was other than it's cool. Go slow, build into it. It's all good. It's all good. So while John is running a mental health practice in Thief River with bicycling and basketball and all kinds of fun things, uh, Jamie, you are partly sleeping on his garage floor because you are drowning in a massive mountain of debt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've once in a while alluded to it on here, but I think mostly when you talk to teams, if they work with you, you you're yeah. really upfront about it. Um, tell us, yeah, you know, <laughs> what the heck happened and how have you, you, you're obviously not in that situation today. Yeah. Um, so it, it comes from a lot of things, right? A lot of really poor choices, a lot of drift. Like, and I think when you hear me talk about be intentional, remove drift in your life, like I just, I ignored things for a really long time, like in a, in a incredibly irresponsible way, actually, um, that, I mean, I ignored relationships. I ignored bill collectors. I like, I literally just, my mom would bring a box of envelopes to my house and I just wouldn't open them. Like. I was so scared of what was inside because it would say something like you owe $23,000 and you are um, three years late. You owe all of that today. And I'm like, I don't have $800 for renting groceries this month, you know? And, uh, but I did have 
$150 to go to the casino and play poker until four in the morning, you know? And like, that was, I, I looked for escapes and outs at every chance. And like Trevor and John, you guys were there through a lot of this. You knew and you understood a lot of this. So in 2014, um, a week before we went on our South Dakota hunting trip, the, the hammer dropped the, the federal government said, uh, we get our money because you have federally insured student loans and, and we're going to take it now. Um, cause you haven't paid it. So I, I woke up, um, on a Friday, it was the 19th of December and we get paid on the 20th of December at the school I was working at. You get paid once a month. So you get one nice big check a month. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go and, uh, spend money on Christmas presents. And I woke up the next morning with a bunch of overdraft charges. I'm like, that's not possible because I just got paid yesterday. I went and looked and the government, there's a big long series of numbers. And then it said federal government lean and they just took all my money. Um, I really didn't tell anybody about it for three months. I didn't tell a soul. I asked my mom for some money to get me through the, the South Dakota trip and, uh, it was, it was a really, really challenging period. I was afraid to tell my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Cause I thought she was going to leave me. I thought, you know, like, Hey, I'm a hundred thousand dollars in debt. All of it is due yesterday or a year ago. Um, and I don't have a clue how to fix it. I don't know what to do. I'm embarrassed by it. I'm ashamed of it. I, I was this really disciplined human for 18, 22 years of life. And then this thing that I wasn't capable of, right? Like I just, I hadn't been taught well, number one. And then I made excuses about it. Number two. And then I ignored it in the end. Like I just stopped doing responsible things and it kind of, it, it jumped up and bit me. And the thing that changed it was this idea of deliberate practice. I read the book peak by Kay Anders Erickson and, uh, Robert Poole. It's the new science of expertise or secrets from the new science of expertise. And, uh, it started talking about intentional measured, difficult feedback. And I started listening to like Dave Ramsey podcasts and like, ah, it's just do the work, right? It's, there are no secrets. It's do the work. And my wife was on board, you know, she said, let's go. And so that was in 2000, March of 2015. Um, we got married in 2016 and we paid off our last debt on April 1st of 2017, it took two years and we thought it was going to take seven, eight, nine, like, and it was just like, let's refocus what our purpose is here. Let's get down to business. And so it just shaped everything about my life. I, I lost weight because of it. Uh, I started eating healthier. I started working out. Uh, I started reading again. I started like, I stopped playing poker, um, till four in the morning. I went to bed at night. Like, yeah. RIP says John, um, which may or may not be true. It's still a little bit sad that I don't do that anymore, but, um, like I miss it every once in a while. Let's say that, but, um, no, it was, it was a really challenging time because I didn't have a clue where to start. And like, so when John said, you know, like take a step, I honestly like taking one step towards some sort of resolution made every bit of difference in the world. And then having somebody there alongside me, like having my wife like there to do it with me 
after three months, like I was super intense right away. I was going full whole heart, right? I'm all in. And then it wanes, it ebbs. And she's now all in, like, she's kind of bringing me back. And so the things that we talk about, like do it in community, take a step, like just keep going, dig in. And like all that stuff came from, for me, not necessarily sports. It was a ref- reflection of that. I knew how to do that because I had trained in it and I taught it with kids, right? Like, and that was the hardest part for me. I felt like a hypocrite all the time, standing in front of groups of kids, telling them do this. And then like going home and you're like, I'm going to have, uh, I don't know, mac and cheese for dinner because I can't really afford anything else. Or like, you know, so it was just, that was, a, that was a hard period, but I, I'm so grateful for it. And it's so trite, right? That what doesn't kill us, makes us stronger. But like that bounce off the bottom, like changed my life, you know? And um, so I think we can all admit that that some of these things that are really hard in the moment are are transformative because they show us who we can be rather than who we are. So, so, yeah. so I've got a question going back. Like you said, I had only so much money, right? So we talk about, you guys talk a lot about like, we're building relationships with people. I think a big part of relationships is empathy. And one thing that, that I never understood till I went and worked with a certain group of people who I would see this behavior in a lot. You said, I would only have so much money. I couldn't pay the bills. So I would just go burn it all at the casino. Yeah. Okay. And I think talk through that mentality, because I don't think a lot of people hear that enough. And we, we often look at uh, people who use drugs in a similar sense. And we're like, well, why don't you just do this? And this is, what is the cycle that's happening there? I I think it's just for me, and I'm not going to speak for everybody in this because I think everybody's probably got a unique experience in this. For me, like it came from just such a deep place of shame, right? It was like, I don't have an answer. I don't have a clue. Like I could start, right? I could start doing this, but I can't, like, I can't possibly pay all of that today. You know, like I don't have the answer. And, and I like, I text you this last night. I said a little bit of a savior complex in my life. Right. I, like I, I had that. And so when I couldn't figure out the answer, the answer for me was run away. Right. It's run flee, like as fast as you can get away from it. And for me, like that was, there were a few things that did that. Um, like, Tetris and a bag of peanut butter M&Ms, like as much as I'm grateful for it, because it fostered this relationship that has been a lifelong garden friends relationship grow together. It was the same thing. It was no different, right? It was, I want to do this till two in the morning because then I don't have to think about that other thing, you know, and especially people that like have had some success in life and have had real achievement. Like there's this like, I have all of this other stuff figured out. I have this, like, why is that such a failure? I'm going to push it away as much as I can. And I want to make as much distance from that as possible. And, and like, you don't even realize that your the outlet you're taking is not the right answer. You're just like, I'm, I want to escape right now. And like, I mean, you feel on top of the world, raking a pot too, right? Like you feel it's winning, it's competitive, it's sport. It's, there's so many pieces of it that were tied to identity and 
shame and guilt and like uh, upbringing, I, like just so much, much of it that I, that I wanted to run away from. And, and it was just way easier to not address it. Like it was easy. So you asked that question, JP, and I, I, I can't help but think about, you know, our emotional response to stress, fight, flight, or freeze. Jamie clearly just talked about how his was basically flight, right? Like I'm, I'm going to get as far away, pretend for me, my, my natural response is to freeze often. And so when I'm faced with, with difficult situations or hard or whatever, it's, I freeze, I do nothing, which is in itself a choice, right? It's, it's a choice to do nothing. And, and I think ultimately um, that cycle you talked about is, people who come out of that and are successful in paying off debt or, you know, coming through substance use and, and being sober, it's, it's that ability to intentionally willingly flip the switch to fight. And now some people's natural response is to fight and, and that doesn't help them because they need to, they need to freeze. They need to get away from whatever it is because they can't don't have the skills at that moment or the supports or whatever it is. But for, and I won't speak for you, Jamie, but I think it's similar is that we have to work ourselves to the point where we're saying, no, we're going to actually be the aggressor here. We're going to fight this thing. And I'm not going to allow my natural response to take me away from, because in the end, Jamie, you are an intelligent human being. You knew that you were going to have to pay the bills. At some point you knew that was coming due. Right. And I think every, everybody had, Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I think there was a world where I thought if I file for bankruptcy or whatever, like I didn't know enough. Like I was just completely ignorant in some ways too. Right. And so there was some I mean, freeze yes in it no. too. Right. You, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, it's true. But I, I feigned ignorance. How about that? I, I wanted to hide in ignorance. I wanted, all right. And then I, I think the other important thing, and we talk about this all the time, take a step, start, do something, whatever it is. You know, Jamie, you talked about, I don't have the money to pay for this, so I'm going to go do something else, right? And that's true of all of us, whether it's working out. If you haven't been working out, we have this misconception that it has to be a certain thing. Jamie had to pay all of his debt off. I have to lose 30 pounds. I've got to work out for an hour a day, right? Or fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so we... we allow that thing to take us back to our natural response. For me, it's freeze. I don't work out because I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to because in order to do it, I have to start somewhere and I feel like it has to be this ma massive grand plan and, and activity. And ultimately, whenever you start, it's not that anyway. So if we're talking about working through these hard things, like right now we're talking about how do you do it personally? Right. Like, how do you work through that? But like why you said we got to have somebody to do hard things with us. And um, why does our role as coaches, as, as teachers, as leaders, why does that become so important in these situations when we're working with people who are struggling through these kinds of things? I, Trevor, I'm going to direct that to you, particularly because like right now you are going through as hard a thing as I, you know. Like how does having people to lean on and then how does that influence you as a coach? I'm, I'm going to go a little bit backwards to go forwards here and, and touch hey, on. Sometimes you got to go east to go west. So I specifically remember 
the deer hunt. And that is where our, I believe our relationship kind of went to another level as, I mean, you opened up and, and let it all out. And, um, you know, I, I feel like that was beneficial for you and beneficial for me, uh, and to help us take another step in our relationship. And, you know, instead of doing those surface level conversations that you love to have, Jamie, and, you know, just how's the weather, we got to actually dive into like real life things. And that really like sprung, you know, hopefully helped you in a sense of being able to know that you had somebody to text, call, whatever, when, when you're going through that. Um, and, you know, moving forward to the question of, of what's the question again? People, right? I mean, we need people to get through some of this stuff. Like what's the role of other people for you right now? Because like, I think in some ways, like it can feel pretty lonely knowing that you're the one that has to deal with what's going on in your body. You know, like, yeah. So, I mean, the most obvious answer, my wife is like my go-to at any point in time. She is, she's my queen. She does whatever I need her to do and more. And obviously, you know, out kicking my coverage, put in whatever explanation you want. Like she's the best. Um, but you know, the relationships that I have with, you know, people at work, um, the relationships I have with the people that I'm talking with right now, um, and, and other family members, it, it is a good outlet. Um, you know, John and I have talked, we've had 59 and a half minute conversation on the phone, uh, 39 and a half minute conversation on the phone. And it is good just to, you know, talk about things like that. Um, and, and just to talk in general, to, to get, just to have the, the social aspect of, of things is, is big for me. And, um, you know, having the kids around too, like they give a different perspective on things. Like I, I talk to my students about stuff that's going on in my daily life, like what my treatments are like and things like that. And they have a different perspective and especially the, the students that I work with. I mean, they're, they have a different outlook than a lot of people do. And the, the things that they say, I'm like, I, I would have never have thought of anything like that as an answer coming back from you. So it is, it is interesting to, to talk with them. And, um, you know, I just go ahead, Jamie. I just think like what you just said is really valuable. I think what we, we tend to do is go to our spouses. We go to our easy people, right? We go to John, like John, yeah, let's be real. Easy. John is our, our therapist. A lot of the time, not like if we struggle with something, I think you are just an incredible ear. You're a great listener. And it's not always that we want answers, right? We just want somebody to talk to. And then you just said like, Oh, having my students who have this very different perspective is super valuable. You know, and it doesn't matter how low or how high their intellect is. It doesn't matter how low or how high their social status is. They're bringing a different perspective and being able, you know, I think JP, you would say that in your classroom, having these really disparate cultures in the same room is just eye-opening sometimes. It's this moment for everybody to go, whoa, 
we all experience that in a slightly different way, or we all experience that in the same way. And I would never would have guessed it. And like the human thing that is life is I don't like I am Pollyanna. I'm like super optimist, positive thing. Like we are made to be in connection with people because those moments take my breath away. Those moments leave me dumbfounded in awe of how amazing everybody else is like how amazing all of this is together. And I think it just grounds me in this. And I think when we can give our athletes that like, Hey, you're doing the same thing as Olympian over here, exact same workout. You might not be going as fast, you might, but like you're working as hard. You can do this. You can do hard things too. <laughs> like, And then being able to say, I also understand that you might have a parent with substance abuse at home. I also understand that you might be struggling financially. I did too. I might, I also understand that you might have somebody in your life who's battling cancer or a mental health diagnosis. I like, we all have stuff and to bring us to some sort of equal footing, like it allows us or some elevated footing, even sometimes, right. We can elevate each other through that. And, um, I know that having these conversations elevates me when I walk away, right? Every time Trevor and I talk about something real, I mean, we talk a lot of golf, right? But they're like, we talk a lot of real stuff too. I, I just, I'm, I'm filled by it and then I'm better and I can do something differently. The only other thing I got in my notes is that it says other important info. Jamie doesn't like hugs. I mean, who does really? <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I love a good hug, Jamie. Jamie also really appreciates extremely soft and fuzzy blankets. So if you could bring him one of those and give him a hug with the soft, fuzzy blanket, that would be, it would be yeah. really good for his mental health. Any, anything fleece lined, you know, especially like mittens, hats, Maybe sweatpants yep. that are fleece lined, Jamie. I hate this, right? Like I'm anxious. Like there's got to be a there's got to be a fleece jacket with in like the Bethel, like uh, like uh, spirit shop. Yeah, sure. we will find. It's one of the one so of the reasons that golf gear. One of the reasons that we had such a, a a difficult time with eyes up gear is because Jamie likes like scratchy, gross, ugh. Uh, feel on his body and I love soft fluffy like Trevor was saying so we had some back and forth about that but no it's uh I I think you're referring to the Rob Lovejoy episode because he kind of he brought this all like to a head for me Mm -hmm. um one night he grabbed my arm and he's like you don't you like this like you like this like he like physically like squeezed me and I'm like yeah that feels good and he's like He's like, you don't like this. And he like caressed my face. I want like touch my face very softly. I'm like, no, get out. Like that's out. He's like, you just have a different sort of sensory input reality. And like, that's a need, you know? And, um, I, it's something like, so it's weird that I don't like hugs. I should like that compression, but, um, <laughs> I don't, we're not going to psychoanalyze the reason that I don't like hugs. Um, but, but I just, I, I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm 
stammering, but it, it's no, true. I, I'm not a huge hug guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's, here's the good news. Everyone else here is. And so oh, we're yeah. just going to keep giving you hugs. <laughs> so you, you will deal with it. Thank yes. you. Um, what's the immersion therapy? Is that what that's called? Something like that. Sure. Gentlemen, we, uh, again, we, at the beginning told you how much we appreciate you guys and we appreciate you coming on and doing this for us. It, it really is a cool way for us to celebrate almost two years of weekly conversations that two years ago, we, we would have never been or thought we were in this spot and to, to be here now and to be able to have met and talk to the coolest people and continue to do it and share it. And, and we talk about it all the time, but it, it grows us. And, and we know that it grows people that are listening. And um, there's been times and JP, you've been on the receiving end of my, some of my frustrations at times with, man, are we actually doing, and Jamie, you and I have had a lot of conversations, like, what are we actually doing with this thing? And um, I'm so glad that we, you know, that's my freeze, right? That's my freeze. And, and I'm, I'm glad that everybody sitting here and among other people have, have allowed us to swip, flip that switch to the fight and, and say, Hey, we're going to keep doing this because it really is. Um, I believe it's important work and I not work because it's not, that makes, makes Pretty it sound easy. terrible. <laughs> JP did a really good job at coming up with questions. Thank you, JP for carrying the podcast today. It's all good. It's all good boys. Typical. If you're going to work with JP, be prepared to have him be, 130% prepared. That's how it works. It's pretty amazing. So, so you can come and talk to the golf team now that you're done coaching track. So we should line that up. Not that we need to record all this conversation, but it's okay. I'll leave it in Trev. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is. Thank you for joining us gentlemen. And thank you for you out there listening and helping us reach this milestone, this cool opportunity to continue to share the conversations, the, the good juice, as we call it sometimes. So Jamie, Trevor, JP, appreciate you guys. And as always, live eyes up.